Hey, I want to thank you for checking out uh, the sermons at Coastal Community Church online. And uh, we are really happy to make these available to you uh, for your spiritual nourishment. But one of the things we have a deep conviction of is that we hope that these sermons are a supplement to your spiritual growth, but also a supplement to you having a home church. And so if uh, you do not live in this area, we would really encourage you uh, to join with a local church where you can serve the Lord together alongside of other believers. Uh, if you don't have a local church and you live in the Hampton Roads area, we'd love to have you check out Coastal Community Church. We have uh, three services, uh, 8:15, 9:45, and 11:15, and we'd love for you to join us at one of those services. Hey, we want to invite you out for the Christmas season. I hope you'll join us. We're doing a series called Pictures of Christmas, uh, and we are going to be looking at Christmas through the eyes of different people in the New Testament and the Old Testament as we celebrate the birth of our Savior Jesus Christ. We also hope you'll join us on Christmas Eve. We are going to do a candle lighting service. It's a family service. Uh, I think it'll be a great time for you, your family, and your children. We have two services on Christmas Eve, 3 o'clock, 5 o'clock. It will be full, so let me encourage you to get here early and ring in the holidays, um, joining us at Coastal Community Church this Christmas with our series, Pictures of Christmas. Good morning, Coastal. Good to see you guys. Merry Christmas. Uh, nobody else was being responded. Okay, Merry Christmas. It's great to see you. Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 in your Bible in the chair in front of you. If you don't have one, take that one. That's on page 523. While you're doing that, I want to do a little bit of just updating slash church business. A couple things you guys can be, have been praying about, some things you can be praying about. Uh, first of all, I want to bring to your attention the uh, just kind of the Christmas schedule that we're doing at Coastal. It's, uh, you know, a lot of... Uh, some of what we're doing, a lot of what we're doing is an opportunity for you to invite some friends. You know, you guys run in a in a circle that I don't run in. And so it's just an opportunity to invite. And so next week, um, we've got our children are going to be a part of the service. Okay, they're going to sing some songs. And so uh, I know you're excited about that, but it's also an opportunity to invite. Maybe you have a family, uh, a loved one that do maybe doesn't normally go to church or maybe not a believer or hasn't been in a while anyway. And, and it's just a great time to say, hey, why don't you come out and see your, you know, your grandson, your granddaughter, your niece, your nephew, whatever. So invite them out. Okay. The following week, we're going to do a lot of music on December. December the 20th. Uh, we're going to do a, a TSO concert, and uh, the music's always incredible. And uh, Pastor Joey always reminds me that's really music for people that are 40 and up. So anyway, so if you're 40 and up, um, yeah, it's going to be great. And again, it's a great opportunity uh, to invite some neighbors uh, to, and, and to hear the, the message of the birth of our Messiah and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And then Christmas Eve, two services, three o'clock and five o'clock. Uh, candle lighting service, under an hour, family service, and uh, I mean, it's, it's one of my favorites through the, throughout the whole year, so uh, I do want to let you know it will be full, okay? It will be packed three and five, if it's possible, okay? So don't say, well, Pastor Sean said don't come. I didn't say that, okay? If it's possible for you and you can come to the five o'clock, that one always has a little more seating than the three o'clock, uh, but don't, you know, just come, all right? Come to the one that fits your, you and your family, and uh, yeah, be ready for that. It's going to be a, a great service um, tonight. All right, well, I'll tell you what, I'll bring that back, I'll bring this around. Uh, let me give you a little bit of updates, okay? New building, new location, the framing is done, okay? Good stuff, so uh, next stop is uh, the sheetrock, okay? And, and so the framing's done, the walls are in place inside, and, and I asked you guys to pray a couple weeks ago about this building. Uh, I wanted to let you know that we have a contract on the building, but it comes with a contingency, okay, of, a, of the sale of another property or contract on another property. So we're praying about that, we're seeing if that fits 
It's what we want to do at Coastal. Uh, we're anticipating um, another possible offer this week, okay? So I'm just laying these front things in front of you that you can be in prayer. There's a lot of steps between an offer and getting all the way to a closing of a property, okay? So, um, so I'm just trying to keep you informed. I know you guys have been praying. I want to encourage you uh, to continue to pray, okay? And that's what's going on with this building. Now, Here's something I want to just give you as a matter of prayer. Uh, it's kind of come to our attention over the, probably the last six or eight weeks. I just feel like now's the time to at least present it to the church body as something that's happening behind the scenes. As you know, uh, I've shared many, many times that our desire once we relocate is to launch a campus in Gloucester. And that's something that's been on, on my heart, on the leadership of the uh, hearts of the leadership at Coastal. And, uh, and through that, there's been some relationships that have developed. And I don't have time to give you all the relationships. But there is a church in Gloucester called Ebenezer Baptist Church that is sitting on some property, but because their church has not been growing and it's actually been getting smaller, um, they're struggling to even pay the light bill and keep the doors open. And so they've, we've, through relationship, gotten to know them and, uh, and they are giving prayerful attention. They haven't done it just yet, but they're giving prayerful attention to to gifting us their property. Okay. Uh, which means we would just own it. All right. They're not, wouldn't cost us anything. Uh, and so just to give you like, here it is. Okay. It's a beautiful piece of property. Uh, it's about 40, over 45,000 square feet um, with tons and tons of parking. This, to give you a little perspective, this right here is a gymnasium. Uh, this here is a, is a fellowship hall with an industrial kitchen. And then this right here is classrooms. It has about 40-plus classrooms, huge spaces. Uh, and this is about a 600-seat auditorium. Uh, they own about 30 acres, uh, including here and actually some like over here on the wall. Um, uh, over there as well. So, uh, and so just to give you a little perspective, Josh, if you go to the next slide, uh, like where's this property located? Here's the challenge of the property. You're like right here, okay, on the map, right there behind that. Uh, but here's the bridge over into Gloucester, and it's up here, and it's kind of sandwiched in the middle of this Gloucester Matthews area, okay? So that would be the challenge, a little bit off the beaten path. And so um, they're probably going to be deciding as a church, probably in the next, I would say, eight to 10 weeks, if they uh, if, if if they're going to gift this property, of course. Anytime you own a property, there's certainly upkeep costs, and and we'll be praying about that. But the property itself would be free to us, and uh, so we're just praying about it. There's really no decision to be made at this point. Um, uh, but we're just praying as an opportunity. It would have to be a missional piece. Uh, you know, again, we're thinking when I say missional, I'm talking about. How could we use that kind of acreage for uh, maybe camps or missions homes or those kind of things? And so those are the kind of things that we're praying through right now. So would you just, you know, join us in prayer as a body and ask the Lord to give your leadership wisdom in that? Uh, which brings me, um, and by the way, it's pretty exciting though, isn't it? I mean, it's, it's a unique opportunity. I don't know what the Lord's doing, but we're, you know, we're asking the Lord, is this an opportunity or is it a distraction, you know? And so that's really what we're praying through, but uh, it's certainly worth praying about. And which brings me to tonight uh, at six o'clock, um, you know, as a church, we're gathering for prayer and praise. And I just want to encourage, it's a great way to start your, your Christmas season uh, with your family. Uh, going to be a prayer and praise night. The Lord's given us a lot to pray about. Uh, one of the great things about prayer is... Uh, it's just an opportunity to, to bow a knee in humble submission to the Lord. Um, coastal belongs to, 
to God, okay? Jesus is the head of his church, and um, we just want to bow a knee and say, hey, Lord, you know, we're seeking your wisdom. Uh, and so it's going to be a prayer and praise night followed by a volunteer celebration. So if you're a volunteer at Coastal, just come to both, okay? Um, it's going to be a great, great night together, all right? So that's where we're going. I hope I'll see you tonight at 6, but you're not dismissed yet. I'm going to preach. Okay, so here we go. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Uh, my goal over the next couple of weeks, I wanted to do a series, uh, and we're calling it Pictures of Christmas. And the goal is to give you some snapshots and see Christmas through some different eyes in the scriptures, okay? So this morning, we're going to look at uh, Christmas through the eyes of the prophet Isaiah, who uh, came before Christmas, really, and he was, he was giving hope to the nation of Israel, uh, about pro- prophesying about a coming Messiah, a coming Savior. And uh, we're going to look at some of the characters in the Christmas story. We're going to look at Christmas through the eyes of the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 2, okay? That's going to be Christmas Eve. But this morning, I want to give you Chris, the picture of Christmas I want to give you is through the eyes of the prophet Isaiah. And the prophet Isaiah was a hope giver. He was writing to a people that were, uh, the dreams of their nation were crumbling or had crumbled. There was, there was despair everywhere around him. And, and, and in Isaiah chapter 9, he gives this picture of the coming Messiah. And it was this picture that for hundreds of years, the people of Israel kind of clung to and they hung on to. In fact, just to, uh, I'm going to show you a video here. I stumbled across this video this week and it's a, it's a drama of Elizabeth, the mother of, the, of uh, John the Baptist, who made the way for the Messiah. And, and she tells the story from her perspective. And one of the things you're going to hear her say is she clung to this hope of the prophets that one day there would be a Messiah, Jesus, the Son of God. So this is a perspective of Christmas through Elizabeth. Check this out. Well, you know spring chicken. <laughs> That's the first thing my neighbor said to me when I told her I was pregnant. Can you believe that? Maybe she just didn't believe me, but I don't, I don't hold it against her. She'd been a tad bit cranky ever since she found that scorpion in her girdle drawer. <laughs> Maybe she just didn't realize what a miracle this was for me. I mean, Zachariah and I had been trying to have a child of our own our whole lives. By the time most of my hair had turned gray and Zachariah's had turned loose, we had given up hope. But nothing is impossible for God. <laughs> he seems to delight in making life out of barren places. As if that wasn't enough, the angel who brought us this unbelievable news had even more to say. This child, our son, would be used by God to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. This was all too much of a gift to be real. And then I thought, well, how am I going to train this child for a job like that? those details covered too and it keeps getting better when I was about six months along my cousin Mary came for a visit and no sooner had she said hello than this unborn son jumped and flipped inside of me 
right then God just opened my eyes so that I could clearly see that this young girl standing in my home was also with child and he would be called Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. <laughs> About nine months later we got the news from Bethlehem. And I looked over at Zachariah holding our very own miracle baby. I had one of those God moments. <laughs> you know, when you just realize, you say, God just had different plans. He had brought us life in barren places. He hadn't forgotten about us. And he would never leave us alone again. hope this morning is that you will leave here with hope. I want you to leave here this morning understanding that God indeed has not forgotten about you. And it's easy in the midst of this season to forget that. We worship the God who sometimes works in the shadows quietly, but he is working nonetheless. And the prophet Isaiah gave hope to a people that for hundreds of years were clinging to these words. Hundreds of years. Hundreds of years looking forward. The Messiah's coming. The Messiah's coming. The Messiah's coming. And this child, Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, for a child is born to us. And a son is given to us, and the government, they will rest upon his shoulders, and, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. I want to draw a couple points out of this this morning and that I hope will give you hope, will keep you forward-looking. Because the truth is, our circumstance is not that much different than the people that Isaiah was writing to, believe it or not. In fact, this time of year, we use the word. We use a word that we probably don't use any other time of the year. It's the word advent, right? Have you ever, you ever heard of that? Like, what does that mean, advent? Advent means either coming or arrival. Christmas time is, is a celebration of the first advent, the coming of God in flesh, the Messiah, the promised one from Isaiah that for hundreds of years people were waiting for. He shows up on Christmas morning. But now, church, we sit in the same position waiting for the second advent. It's another coming of the Messiah. Because Isaiah 9, 6 reminds us this is a future hope. For a child is born, unto us a son is given. This is a future hope. It's the hope of the Messiah. The people in Isaiah's hearing, they were hoping for a Messiah. The nation of Israel had this hope, but our hope is the same. It's the second coming of the Messiah. We celebrate the first advent, but there's a second advent. 
In fact, Luke chapter 2, a similar language is used in Luke 2 verse 10. And the angel said to them, the shepherds, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. For unto you is born this day. There is hope in a child. In the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The people of Israel will look forward, but we also look forward to the second coming of Christ. First advent. It's a little bit different than pe- most people thought, actually. The nation of Israel was waiting for Christ to free them from the Roman government, but God, but God had something far bigger in mind, far bigger than just a nation. He had the whole world in mind, and he had, us, he had the idea of freeing from something far more than a government, freeing us from the bondage of sin. And Isaiah is clear. He said, listen, this Messiah, this coming Savior, not only is it a future hope, but he is coming. And when he comes, it will be an unending reign. It's an unending reign. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. And the government will rest upon his shoulders. In fact, if you look at Luke chapter 1, the announcement to Mary. Luke 1, verse 32. And he, he will be great. And we will call him the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and his kingdom, there will be, what's it say, church? There's no end. It's important for you to understand that the reign of Christ, the Messiah, is eternal. Why is that important? Like, what's the so what? Because I don't know about you, but man, I, I, I read world events, I mean, we're in this season where it's like, what? Every day there seems like there's a new mass shooting somewhere, and it just all looks chaotic. And I've got really, really good news for you. The world is not outside the control of the Messiah. He began his reign at the first advent, and it's true that right now he's working in the shadows, but at his second coming, his reign will be obvious to all. There's nothing going on. It's outside of his rule and his reign. In fact, the book of Hebrews gives mention to this. And by the way, the book of Hebrews, you've got to understand, is written to people that are facing extreme persecution. I want you to hear this. Because they're Christians. You see, I think a lot of times we think of, when I use the word persecution, we go to like, yeah, you know, I have a loved one's battling cancer or, you know, you know, we have health things or sickness things. And listen, they're bad. And that's a part of the curse of the fall of man. But that's not persecution because you're a Christian. You take the name of Jesus upon you and therefore you lose your stuff or you end up in prison. And that's who the, na- the, the, the people of the author, that's who the author's writing to in the book of Hebrews. These people are being persecuted because they have said, hey, we're followers of Christ. And he reminds them in Hebrews 12, verse 28, since we are receiving a kingdom that is what, church? It's unshakable. We'll find its conclusion. Therefore, let us be thankful. Please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. This past year, I've I've been giving extra attention to the to the book of Leviticus. I've just always wanted to study the book of Leviticus, and, and I'm coming to the conclusion of that. And um, as, I come to, as I've been coming to the conclusion, I, I got to Leviticus 26, where God sets up in front of the people what I like to call covenant blessings and covenant cursings. 
He says, you're the people of my covenant. You're the people that I've taken out of Egypt. You're the people on which, you know, the Messiah is going to come through the lineage of these people. And if you obey me, this will be covenant blessings. And if you disobey me, this will be covenant cursings. And of course, if you know the history of Israel, they disobeyed, they got covenant cursings, but the people of Israel never really understood the old covenant. If you read it now through the light of the new covenant, you should recognize that really what the people of Israel should have recognized is we can't keep the rules. They were supposed to read Leviticus 26 and go, I, I'm even on my best day when I'm trying, even my best is usually filled with bad motives. And what they were supposed to recognize is, man, when I read Leviticus 26, what I deserve is covenant cursings. Oh, God, would you please be merciful upon me and send a Savior? That's what they were supposed to come to, the conclusion they were supposed to come to. That's what Galatians tells us. But instead, you know, they misunderstood. <coughs> but as I read Leviticus 26, I, want, I, want, I don't want you to push this illustration too far, but... <coughs> But I want you to hear it. As I read Leviticus 26 and I read the blessings of God. And I was like, what? man, that just sounds beautiful. This is the Messiah's unending reign of blessing. Amen. And by the way, I want you to understand the book of Romans, right? This is why the gospel's so important. Who is it that kept the rules of God? Who kept the rules of God? Jesus in the book of Romans says that when you, when you bow a knee and worship God's son, Jesus Christ, guess what? You become an heir to all the blessings of God, even though you don't deserve it. Isn't that great news? So I want you to read Leviticus 26 and you understand, I don't earn this. It has been earned for me. And so because of that, I have a savior, a Messiah, and he has an unending reign. And this is the vision of what's coming. Check this out. Leviticus 26.3. If you follow my decrees and you're careful to obey my commands, can't do it, been done for you. Got it? I will send your seasonal rains. <clears throat> the land will yield its crops, and the trees of your field will produce their fruit, and your threshing season will overlap with grape harvest, and your grape harvest will overlap with the season of planting of grain. And you will eat your fill, and you'll live securely in your own land. And I will give you peace in your land. You'll be able to sleep with no cause of, for fear. And I will rid the land of wild animals and keep your enemies out of your land. In fact, you will chase down your enemies and slaughter them with your swords. Five of you will chase a hundred. A hundred of you will chase ten thousand. Your enemies will fall beneath your sword. And I will look favorably upon you, making you fertile, multiplying your people. And I will fulfill my covenant with you. And you will have such surplus of crops that you won't, you'll need to clear out your old grain to make room for the new harvest. And I will live among you, and I will not despise you, and I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you will be what? My people. And that's the, that is really, and again, don't push the illustration too far, but that is in some ways a glimpse of heaven, the blessings of God poured out upon the people of God who keep the commands of God. And who's kept the commands of God? God's Messiah, Jesus, credited, and his righteousness credited to us by grace through faith. His reign is unending. And Isaiah gives us that hope, that glimpse. Isaiah reminds us that the Messiah is also his wonderful counselor. He goes into the name of the Messiah, kind of gives us, hey, this is kind of what he's going to embody. He's wonderful counselor. That means our Messiah is, is all wise. He has unending wisdom. 
One of the things I've been trying to teach my boys recently as I've been kind of harping on this is that wisdom, by the way, what is wisdom? Wisdom is knowledge applied. Wisdom is taking knowledge and appropriately applying it. Wisdom is is actually supernatural, according to the scriptures. You you don't just get it. It's it's something that's given. In fact, one of the things that concerns me in in our culture is as, as we continue to raise up education as our idol... And listen, and I'm not saying that we, we should be, we should pursue education, we should be as intelligent and as well-rounded and as knowledgeable as we should be. But if that's your idol and you strip out the scriptures, what you end up with is a bunch of educated fools, Amen. okay? And so you got to take knowledge and apply it biblically and scripturally, and that's a supernatural thing. Of course, the Old Testament gives us Solomon, right? He was probably the wisest man. Remember, Solomon was granted a wish, and he, he asked for wisdom. And then we get this little story that illustrates how wise he is. In 1 Kings chapter 3, you probably know the story, right? But the story is there's these two prostitutes that have babies, right? And they're sharing a house together. And in the middle of the night, the one prostitute lay, falls asleep and fall, lays on top of her child and kills her child and suffocates. And she wakes up in the middle of the night and realizes her baby's dead, and, but she still wants a baby. And so she switches children with the other prostitute that she's sharing the house with. And so the woman whose baby didn't die, she wakes up and she's got this dead baby. And the other woman now has the live baby and they begin to argue. No, it's my baby, it's my baby, it's my baby. You, no, no. And this big argument breaks out. And so they come before, they get a, they get a hearing with Solomon. Of course, what's Solomon supposed to do, right? If you put yourself in that situation, how would you possibly know? How could you possibly know? And so what does he do? Remember what he does? Hey, go get my sword. Here's what we're going to do. I'm going to cut that baby in half, and you take home half, and you take home the other half. Now, how is that wise? Because Solomon knew something was going to happen. The real mom was going to be less concerned about having that baby and more concerned that that baby would live. And so the real mom says, you keep the baby. And Solomon says, take that baby and give it to her. It's an incredible story, right? And the Bible says that his fame and wisdom spread all throughout the land in that story. And yet our Messiah is even wiser, wiser than Solomon. I mean, read your Gospels about Jesus, how people are always trying to trap him in his words, you know? And there's so many where, you know, Jesus gets asked a question. And you're like, yeah, how would he get out of that one? And he usually responds by asking a question. It's just brilliant wisdom, knowledge coupled with supernatural wisdom because, of course, he is God. And so, you know, he's got the wisdom of God here on earth. You know, I mean, I could give you a ton of illustrations, but Matthew 22, right, where they're trying to trick Jesus. They're trying to get him to stumble in such a way that the Roman government would put him to death. And so they say to him, they ask Jesus, hey, Jesus, should we give money to the temple? Should we tithe or should we pay our taxes to Caesar, Right? Hoping Jesus will stumble, hoping he'll say something negative against the Roman government, get him in trouble with the local po- politicians. And Jesus says, give me a coin. He holds up a coin. says, whose likeness is on it? And they say, Caesar's. And then what's Jesus say, right? You know, render to Caesar the thing that belongs to Caesar. And render to... It's not an either or, guys. It's both in. Like, I look at him like, brilliant, man. I wish I was that smart, you know? And that wise, our, our Savior's wise. He's our Messiah. By the way, I got really good news for you. James chapter 1 verse 5 says, we get to ask for that kind of wisdom. James chapter 1 verse 5. If you need wisdom, 
Ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. Can I tell you something? I ask the Lord every single day for wisdom. Every day, God, put, give me wisdom. And we're, we're gathering tonight for church, as a church body to pray because it's an opportunity to bow a knee to the God of the universe and say, you know everything and you know how to properly apply it in, in daily life. We need your wisdom, God, as a church and as a people. I want to encourage you, man. We get to bow a knee to the Messiah. He's the wonderful counselor. Isaiah goes on to define the Messiah for us. It's a picture of the Messiah through Isaiah. He's a mighty God. And he's everlasting father. He's a mighty God and he's everlasting father. I am. Um, I think a lot of times in... In Christianity, I hear people say this, and they think like this. Hey, you know, uh, especially when it comes to even applying wisdom, we need to, you'll hear people say this, we need to find balance, right? And when we hear the word balance, I think, I know what I think is often kind of like this middle ground. Like, we got to find the middle of the road balance. I propose to you this morning, and I don't have time to illustrate all the illustrations. I propose that the scriptures rather than teach balance, teaches tensions. Like the, the scriptures will make you think as far as you can think in this direction and as far as you can think in this direction. And wisdom says, man, which way should we be leaning right now, right? Amen. Parenting. Do I give grace right now or do I give the law? It depends, right? One of the little rules of thumb. Law to the proud, grace to the humble. Right? A child comes, man, I really blew it. Grace. Child comes, I don't care. Be the law. Okay? And <laughs> blessing and cursing. We just read that in Leviticus 26, you know? That's wisdom and it's tensions that we live between. Got that? Well, here, it's right here. The Messiah presents tensions. He's mighty God. Be very careful that you think you can snuggle up to Jesus like he's a cuddly little bunny, okay? He's mighty God. I mean, it's awesome and it's terrifying. He's mighty God. He's all-powerful. He's mighty God and he's to be feared. He's mighty God and that means he will bring retributive justice. He's mighty God. He will overwhelm sinners. He's mighty God and therefore he demands holiness and obedience and perfection. He's mighty God, and therefore he will justly pour out punishment and wrath when perfection is not attained. Mighty God is awesome and terrifying. And he's everlasting father. Pastor Andrew preached a great sermon last week on prayer. I know a lot of people were traveling. If you didn't get it, man, I would get it online. But he, he talked about how when Disciples said, hey, hey, teach us to pray. What did Jesus teach? Man, when you, when you pray, say, say, Abba. The idea of Abba is, is daddy. Through Christ, we, he's, he's, we, get the, we get, through Christ, we get entrance to everlasting father. I mean, everlasting father is, is this other tension where it's kind and it's relational. It's, it's the person I go to when life's upside down. It's, he's the eternal father. 
And everlasting Father is, is, is awesome in another way and comforting. We see this in the Gospels, right? Matthew chapter 8, remember Matthew 8? Disciples with Jesus after a day of ministry, and they're in a boat, and they're in a storm, and the storm comes up, and the disciple, Jesus is so exhausted, he's asleep in the boat. I think a lot of times we look at the disciples during their storms. There's several stories in the Gospels where Jesus with disciples, the storm blows up, and the disciples are horrified. And we kind of look at the disciples like, what a bunch of idiots. Like, why are they scared of Jesus? I, if that's your take, you've never been in a boat in a storm, all right? It's horrifying, okay? And so there's a storm going on, and Jesus is sleeping Matthew chapter 8, and they're like, let's go wake him up. Maybe he can do something about it. And they wake him up. I'm like, I can't believe you're sleeping. We're about to die. Jesus gets up, and he rebukes the wind and the wave, and the storm goes away, and everything gets calm. I want you to just picture this. You ever been in the middle of a storm with your kids huddled up? I mean, how cool would they think you would be if you just got up with a hang on, kids? Hey, quiet down, storm, and everything got immediately calm. Like, they'd be like, wow, that's what happened. And the disciples ask a very important question Who is this that even the winds and the waves obey him? Well, who is it? It's mighty God. Hey, Jesus, teach us to pray. Oh, Daddy. Everlasting Father. And we live with these tensions, and this is the, the picture that Isaiah gives us of our Messiah. Mighty God, Everlasting Father. The fifth picture of the Messiah is He's Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. You know something? The, the greatest peace that you can have is not peace with yourself. It's one of the little lies of this culture. It's, 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 it's what I, and I don't mean to be overly offensive, but, but I think there's some truth in this. It's, it's not what I call Oprah peace. And I'm going to come back to that in a minute, why it's important to understand that. The greatest peace that you can have is peace with God. And peace with God is God's declared righteousness over you, granted by grace through faith. Let me, let me spell this out for you, man. This is really important. This is why Christmas is so important. In order to have peace with God, you have to be perfect because God's character demands, God is holy. He's without sin. You don't get to be in the presence of God unless you stand there perfect. And that is a horrifying, terrifying place to be for sinners. The Bible says, left to our own, we are in rebellion to the things of God. We don't even want him. And when he tries to, sometimes man, we will push back. We're to, it's not like this kind of, you're okay, I'm okay relationship. It is an adversarial relationship. And you're actually at war with God because of your sin and because of his holiness. And your only hope is a savior. And that's why it's so important to understand who and what Jesus is, who he is, and what he has done. 
He's the son of God. He clothed himself in flesh. This is very important. He lived his life in perfection. He never disobeyed any of the commands of God. Then he had a substitutionary death where he hung on a cross. And it wasn't just death to die. I mean, everybody dies. No, he paid a substitutionary death where the wrath of God for, 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 because he's holy was poured out on sin on his son, Jesus Christ. And then he paid the consequence of sin because the Bible tells us the wage of sin has earned us something. The wages of sin is what? Death. And so he paid the, the consequence of that. He laid in the grave for three days. But here's the good news. After he paid for sin, the grave couldn't hold him. And he rose again, authenticating the claims of who he is. And then, if you understand the book of Romans, when you bow a knee to Jesus Christ by grace through faith, the righteousness of Christ is now freely credited to you, not through anything you've done on your own, but freely given. So now you have peace with God in Christ. Does that make sense? Romans 5 says this. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by going to church a lot. Isn't that what it says? No, we've been made right in God's sight. How? By faith. You didn't earn it. You didn't work for it. It's, gr- it's a gift given to you by faith. And we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ, our Lord, has done for us. In Christ, God is no longer angry with you. And the greatest peace that you can have is not peace with yourself, but it is peace with God. And when you have peace with God, then you know the peace of God. Then you know the peace of God. And there is tremendous freedom in knowing, the pe- that, knowing that God is for us. By the way, if you're sitting here this morning and you're a, not yet a follower of Jesus Christ, and you're watching these Christians sit around and sing and clap, and you're like, what is all that is about? It's because, because of Christ, they know the peace of God. Amen. And they're celebrating the peace of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 31, what shall we say about such wonderful things, Paul goes on to say. Such wonderful things as these, if God is for us, and who can ever be against us? That's the peace of God in Christ. And when you know peace, when you know the peace of God, then you will have peace with others. Jesus is the Prince of Peace. By the way, um, if you if you're new to church life, <clears throat> I want you to find somebody that's been in church life a long time, and they will they will validate what I'm about to say. Okay. One of the things that makes being a part of a church for a long period of time so long is not the Jesus part. Like, oh, man, I love me some Jesus. The, pro- the reason it's so difficult to commit to a church for a long period of time is the people. They stink, all right? And they're going to hurt your feelings, and it's difficult. And if you think, man, I just got to, like, get along with these people because it has something to do with you or something to do with them, you've missed the point. The reason that we love each other and we stay in community has everything to do with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen. Colossians chapter 3. Peace with others. Make allowances for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Why? Because they're deserving of it? It's not what it says. You forgive others because you hopefully understand the gospel. 
Because remember, the Lord did what for you? He forgave you. And so you must forgive others. Peace with others. And peace with yourself. And peace with yourself. By the way, I'm very specific here. Peace with yourself as you walk in righteousness. Peace with yourself as you walk in righteousness. Now, this is different from Oprah peace. And I want you to be clear about this. See, Oprah will say, I hear her say to people, hey, just have peace with yourself. The problem with that is if they're walking a lifestyle of sin that God calls disobedience and sin. And in that regard, the kind of peace that they should have is you need to repent of your sin, get right with God. Then you'll have peace with yourself. Peace with yourself is when, <clears throat> when you become a Christian, when you become a follower of Jesus, the Holy Spirit dwells in you and the Holy Spirit compels you to righteousness. And then when you walk in righteousness, you no longer walk in the guilt and shame of sin. And in that journey, you have peace with yourself. Hey, man, I... You know, some of y'all, there may be some of you here this morning, even as Christians, like, you know, man, I've been wrestling with this sin. And listen, it can be a wrestle. I call, a couple weeks ago, I called it the battle of sanctification. Okay, it is a struggle. It is a wrestle. But man, when you overcome temptation by the power of the Spirit and the Word and community and all that stuff that helps us overcome temptation, we have peace with ourselves. Like, man, I'm walking in righteousness. I don't have guilt and shame saddling me back, right? Amen. That's a good feeling. I want to encourage you, next time you're battling a temptation, you go, I'm not going to stumble back in there because, man, that's a yucky race to run. I'm enjoying the peace of following the righteous of God. And finally, there's peace on earth. The Prince of Peace brings peace on earth. I'm going to tell you something. The hope of peace on earth is not the U.S. military. <laughs> Dropping bombs does not bring peace on earth. Now, I'm not here to preach Romans 13 this morning. I do believe that the, the government bears the sword. Governments are sovereign under God's rule and his hand. But I'm going to tell you something. Peace on earth is found in the church of Jesus Christ, spend, spreading the kingdom of God all across the globe. That's why if you're a part of Coastal, we're big believers in making sure we're a part of missions that goes to every tribe, tongue, and nation because we believe as local churches planted all around the world, there will be peace on earth. And we want to be a part of that. Messiah brings, he's the prince of peace. I'm going to finish with this. We'll close with prayer. I'm probably about to fend some of you with the story I'm going to tell <clears throat> because it's what you're wearing this morning. Um, but years ago, I, me and my friends used to um, make fun of ugly Christmas sweaters. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> so if that's you this morning, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to be offensive. But we used to make fun of them. You guys know what they are, man. There's these sweaters that, you know, they're big and they're, they're lots of color. It's like someone just vomited holiday cheer all over a sweater, right? Like, oh, man, this is bright and colorful, right? And we used to make fun of these until I was watching Shark Tank, my favorite show. It's this, it's this investment show where you can pitch your business idea, and on came this little company called Tipsy Elves, and they had made a business on ugly Christmas sweaters, to which I was like, why didn't I think of that? Wisdom, knowledge applied, you know? Like, man... And so for some of you, man, I don't know what your picture of Christmas is. For some of you, man, it's like, hey, get out the Christmas sweater, you know. Get out that, man, it's great to wear that around. Maybe that's your picture of Christmas. You know, all kidding aside, for some of you, the picture of Christmas is like, you, you have kind of this dream in your mind's eye. You know, like maybe, maybe, maybe your picture of Christmas is like the family get-together. Everybody's going to be there. 
And, and that's part of what my family does, you know. Maybe for you, like, maybe that dream's been a little tainted or even shattered this year. Like, maybe not everybody is going to be there. Maybe, maybe there's a loved one overseas right now. There's a family member that's disenfranchised right now. Maybe there's a family member that's passed away. And Christmas is tough. Maybe every time you watch a commercial about, you know, give this loved one this great gift, you know. I always love the Lexus commercial with the big bow, and I'm like, who does that, you know? I mean, who are those people, you know? But maybe, maybe you're in the boat, like, I, I can't even give my kids a, a tiny gift this year. Like, money's so tight, and, like, if that's really the dream of Christmas, man, if that's the picture, I, I'm, I'm far from that. It's really easy to get distracted. And I just, my hope is over the next couple of weeks, it will be the voice in your world that says, don't forget, this is the picture of Christmas. And the picture of Christmas through the prophet Isaiah is hope in the Messiah. First advent, he started the process. He's working in the shadows. God's working in the shadows. And with the second advent, our faith will be sight. Because Isaiah said, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, the government will rest upon his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Every other picture that you have of Christmas in your mind will leave you disappointed. Christmas is about hope. Hope for the now and hope for the future. Found in our Messiah. Christ alone. Let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the picture of Christmas that never disappoints. Thank you for sending us your Messiah. Thank you for the first advent and the hope inside of our hearts for the second advent where our faith becomes sight. I pray for the one in this room that came in when their burden was heavy. They've been disillusioned by Christmas. May by the power of your word, the power of your spirit, God, you'd be grabbing hold of their heart, rekindling hope that there's more to Christmas than everything the culture's screaming at us, but rather the Christmas hope is that there's a Messiah, God's Son, Jesus, the Christ, the Anointed One, restoring our way back to our Heavenly Father, He's wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. It's in his name I pray. Amen.